0: Chapter Forty Three of Sylvia's Lovers. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Sylvia's Lovers by Elizabeth Gaskell. Chapter Forty Three: The Unknown. A few days before that on which Philip arrived at Monkshaven, Kester had come to pay Sylvia a visit, as the earliest friend she had and also as one who knew the real secrets of her life, Sylvia always gave him the warm welcome, the cordial words, and the sweet looks in which the old man delighted. He had a sort of delicacy of his own, which kept him from going to see her too often, even when he was stationary at Monkshaven. But he looked forward to the times when he allowed himself this pleasure, as a child at school looks forward to its holidays. The time of his service at Haytersbank had, on the whole, been the happiest in all his long monotonous years of daily labour. Sylvia's father had always treated him with the rough kindness of fellowship. Sylvia's mother had never stinted him in his meat, or grudged him his share of the best that was going, and once, when he was ill for a few days, in the loft above the cow-house, she had made him possets, and nursed him with the same tenderness which he remembered his mother showing to him when he was a little child, but which he had never experienced since then. He had known Sylvia herself, as bud, and sweet promise of blossom, and just as she was opening into the full-blown rose, and, if she had been happy and prosperous, might have passed out of the narrow circle of Kester's interests. One sorrow after another came down upon her pretty innocent head, and Kester's period of service to Daniel Robson, her father, was tragically cut short. All this made Sylvia the great centre of the faithful herdsman's affection, and Bella, who reminded him of what Sylvia was when first Kester knew her, only occupied the second place in his heart, although to the child he was much more demonstrative of his regard than to the mother. He had dressed himself in his Sunday best, and although it was only Thursday, had forestalled his Saturday's shaving. He had provided himself with a paper of humbugs for the child, humbugs being the north-country term for certain lumps of toffee, well-flavoured with peppermint, and now he sat in the accustomed chair, as near to the door as might be, in Sylvia's presence, coaxing the little one, who was not quite sure of his identity, to come to him, by opening the paper parcel, and letting its sweet contents be seen. "'She's like thee, and yet she favours her father,' said he. And the moment he had uttered the incautious words, he looked up to see how Sylvia had taken the unpremeditated, unusual reference to her husband. His stealthy glance did not meet her eye, but though he thought she had coloured a little, she did not seem offended as he had feared. It was true that Bella had her father's grave, thoughtful, dark eyes instead of her mother's grey ones, out of which the childlike expression of wonder would never entirely pass away. And as Bella slowly and half distrustfully made her way towards the temptation offered her, she looked at Kester with just her father's look. Sylvia said nothing in direct reply. Kester almost thought she could not have heard him. But by and by, she said, "'You'll have heard how Kinraid,' "'who's a captain now, and a grand officer, "'has gone and got married.' "'Nay,' said Kester, in genuine surprise, "'he never has, for sure.' Ay, but he has,' said Sylvia, "'and I'm sure I do not see why he shouldn't.' "'Well, well,' said Kester, not looking up at her, "'for he caught the inflections in the tones of her voice. "'He were a fine stirring chap, yon, "'and he were allus for doing summat. "'and when he fund as he couldn't have one thing "'as he'd set his mind on,' I reckon he thought he mun put up with another. it ud be no putting up, said Sylvia. She were staying at Bessie Dawson's, and she come here to see me. She's as pretty a young lady as you'd see in a summer's day, and a real lady, too, with a fortune. She didn't speak two words without bringing in her husband's name. The Captain, as she called him. And she come to see thee, said Kester, cocking his eye at Sylvia with the old shrewd look. That was summit queer, weren't it? Sylvia reddened a good deal. "'He's too fouls to have spoken to her on me, in old way, "'as he used for to speak to me. "'I were not to her but Philip's wife.' "'And what to Dickens had she to do with Philip?' asked Kester, "'in intense surprise and so absorbed in curiosity "'that he let the humbugs all fall out of the paper upon the floor, "'and the little Bella sat down, plump, in the midst of treasures, "'as great as those fabled to exist on Tom Tiddler's ground.' "'Sylvia was again silent, but Kester, knowing her well, was sure that she was struggling to speak, and bided his time without repeating his question. She said, and I think her tale were true, though I cannot get to to rights on it, think on it as I will, as Philip saved her husband's life somewhere nearabouts to Jerusalem. She would have it that to captain, for I think I'll never call him Kinraid again, was in great battle, and were near upon being shot by to French, when Philip, our Philip, "'come up and went right into de fire of the guns "'and saved her husband's life, "'and she spoke as if both she and the captain "'were more beholden to Philip than words could tell, "'and she come to see me to try and get news on him.' "'It's a queer kind of story,' said Kester, meditatively. "'I should a thought, as Philip were more likely "'to have given him a shove into the thick it, "'than to help him out o' a scrape.' "'Nay,' said Sylvia, suddenly looking straight at Kester, "'you're out there. Philip had a deal o' good in him.' "'And I did not think as he'd a gone and married another woman so soon "'if he'd a been in Kinraid's place. "'And you've never heerd on Phillips he left?' asked Kester, after a while. "'Niver! Not but what she told me. "'And she said that a captain made inquiry for him right and left, "'as soon after that happened as might be, "'and could hear never a word about him. "'No one had seen him or knowed his name. "'You never heerd of his going for to be a soldier?' persevered Kester. "'Niver! I told you once.' It were unlike Philip to think of such a thing. But thou mun a been thinking on him at times in all these years, bad as he behaved hisself he were to father of thy little one. What did ta think he had been a gate on when he left here? I didn't know. I were none so keen a thinking on him at first. I tried to put him out of my thoughts altogether, for it made me like mad to think how he'd stood between me and that other but i begun to wonder and to wonder about him and to think i should like to hear as he were doing well i reckon i thought he were in london where he'd been that time afore you know and had always spoke as if he'd enjoyed hissel tolerable and then molly brunton told me on t'other one's marriage and somehow it gave me a shake in my heart and i began for to wish i hadn't said all them words in my passion and then that fine young lady come wi her story and i've thought a deal on it since and my mind has come out clear philip's dead and it were his spirit as come to t'other's help in his time o need i've heard feyther say as spirits cannot rest in their graves for trying to undo the wrongs they've done in their bodies them's my conclusions said kester solemnly i was fain for to hear what were your judgments first but them's the conclusions i come to as soon as i heard a tale let alone that one thing said sylvia he were a good kind man it were a big deal on a one thing though," said Kester. "It just spoilt your life, my poor lass, and might have gone near to spoilin Charlie Kinraid's too. Men takes a deal more nor women to spoil their lives," said Sylvia bitterly. "Not a make a man," I reckon, lass. Philip's life were pretty well on for being spoilt at after he left here, and it were maybe a good thing he got rid on it so soon. "'I wish I'd just had a few kind words wi' him. "'I do,' said Sylvia, almost on the point of crying. "'Come, lass, it's as ill moanin' after what's past, "'as it'd be for me to fill my eyes wi' weepin' "'after the humbugs as this little wench o' thine "'as grubbed up whilst we been talkin', "'while there's not one an' em left.' "'She's a sad, spoilt little puss,' said Sylvia, "'holding out her arms to the child who ran into them, "'and began patting her mother's cheeks "'and pulling at the soft brown curls "'tucked away beneath the matronly cap.' Mammy spoils her, and Hester spoils her.' "'Granny Rose doesn't spoil me,' said the child, with a quick, intelligent discrimination, "'interrupting her mother's list. "'No, but Jeremiah Foster does above a bit. "'He'll come in from to Bank, Hester, and ask for her almost every day. "'And he'll bring her things in his pocket. "'And she's so faus, she always goes straight to peep in. "'And then he shifts tapler to, to toy into another. "'Eh, but she's a little faus one.' half-devouring the child with her kisses and he comes and takes her walk oftentimes and he goes as slow as if he were quite an old man to keep pace with bella's steps i often run upstairs and watch him out of the window he doesn't care to have me with him he's so fain to have the child all to hisself she's a bonny un for sure said kester but not so pretty as thou was sylvie i've never telled thee what i come for though and it's about time for me to be goin "'I'm off to to Cheviot's to-morrow morning to fetch home some sheep, as Jonas Blundell has purchased. "'It'll be a job a better nor two months, I reckon.' "'It'll be a nice time o' year,' said Sylvia, a little surprised at Kester's evident discouragement at the prospect of the journey or absence. He had often been away from Monkshaven for a longer time, without seeming to care so much about it. "'Well, you see, it's a bit hard upon me for to leave my sister. "'She as is to widow-woman, where I put up when I'm at home.' things is main and dear four pound loaves is at sixteen pence and there's a deal o talk on a famine in to land and wotten a paid for my victual and to bed and to lean to helped down woman a bit and she's sadly down into mouth for she cannot hear on a lodger for to take my place for ah, she's moved o'er to other side o to bridge for to be nearer to new buildings and to grand new walk they're making round to cliffs thinkin she'd be likelier to pick up a labourer as would be glad on a bed near his work i'd a like to set her a gate with a sponsible lodger before i'd a left for she's just so soft-hearted any scamp may put upon her if he no but gets howled on her blind side can i help her said sylvia in her eager way i should be so glad and i've a deal of money by me nay my lass said kester thou mightn't go off so fast it were just what i feared on it tellin thee i've left her a bit o money and i'll make shift to send her more it's just a kind word to keep up her heart when i'm gone as i want if thou would step in and see her from time to time, and cheer her up a bit with talking to her on me, I'd take it very kind, and I'd go off with a lighter heart. Then I'm sure I'll do it for you, Kester. I never justly felt like myself when you are away, for I'm lonesome enough at times. She and I will talk all to better about you, for both on us grieving after you. So Kester took his leave, his mind set at ease by Sylvia's promise to go and see his sister pretty often during his absence in the North but sylvia's habits were changed since she as a girl at Haytersbank, liked to spend half her time in the open air running out perpetually without anything on to scatter crumbs to the poultry or to take a piece of bread to the old cart-horse to go up to the garden for a handful of herbs or to clamber to the highest point around to blow the horn which summoned her father and kester home to dinner living in a town where it was necessary to put on hat and cloak before going out into the street and then to walk in a steady and decorous fashion she had only cared to escape down to the freedom of the seashore, until Philip went away. And after that time she had learnt so to fear observation as a deserted wife, that nothing but Bella's health would have been a sufficient motive to take her out of doors. And as she had told Kester, the necessity of giving the little girl a daily walk was very much lightened by the great love and affection which Jeremiah Foster now bore to the child. Ever since the day when the baby had come to his knee, allured by the temptation of his watch, he had apparently considered her as in some sort belonging to him, and now he had almost come to think that he had a right to claim her as his companion in his walk back from the bank to his early dinner, where a high-chair was always placed ready for the chance of her coming to share his meal. On these occasions he generally brought her back to the shop-door when he returned to his afternoon's work at the bank. Sometimes, however, he would leave word that she was to be sent for from his house in the new town, as his business at the bank for that day was ended. Then Sylvia was compelled to put on her things, and fetch back her darling, and excepting for this errand, she seldom went out at all on weekdays. About a fortnight after Kester's farewell call, this need for her visit to Jeremiah Foster's arose, and it seemed to Sylvia that there could not be a better opportunity of fulfilling her promise, and going to see the widow Dobson, whose cottage was on the other side of the river, low down on the cliff-side, just at the bend and rush of the full stream into the open sea. She set off pretty early in order to go there first. She found the widow with her house-place tidied up after the midday meal, and busy knitting at the open door, not looking at her rapid-clicking needles, but gazing at the rush and recession of the waves before her, yet not seeing them either, rather seeing days long past. She started into active civility as soon as she recognized Sylvia, who was to her as a great lady, never having known Sylvia Robson in her wild childish days widow dobson was always a little scandalized at her brother christopher's familiarity with mrs hepburn she dusted a chair which needed no dusting and placed it for sylvia sitting down herself on a three-legged stool to mark her sense of the difference in their conditions for there was another chair or two in the humble dwelling and then the two fell in to talk first about kester whom his sister would persist in calling christopher "'as if his dignity as her elder brother was compromised by any familiar abbreviation, "'and by and by she opened her heart a little more. "'I could wish, as I learned right of hand,' said she, "'for I've that for to tell Christopher, as might set his mind at ease. "'But, ye see, if I wrote him a letter, he couldn't read it. "'So I just comfort mysel with thinking nobody need learn writin' "'unless they ain't got friends as can read. "'But I reckon he'd have been glad to hear as I've gotten a lodger.' here she nodded her head in the direction of the door opening out of the house-place into the lean-to which sylvia had observed on drawing near the cottage and the recollection of the mention of which by kester had enabled her to identify widow dobson's dwelling he's a bed yonder the latter continued dropping her voice he's a queer lookin tyke but i don't think as he's a bad un when did he come said sylvia remembering kester's account of his sister's character and feeling as though it behoved her as kester's confidant on this head to give cautious and prudent advice eh a matter of a to ago i'm known good at mindin time he's paid me his rent twice but then he were keen to pay aforehand he'd comed in one night and sate him down afore he could speak he were so done up he'd been on tramp this many a day i reckon "'Can you give me a bed?' says he, panting, like, after a bit. "'A chap as I met near here says as you've got a lodging for to let. "'Aye,' says I, I have that, but ye mun pay me a shilling a week for it. "'Then my mind misgive me, for I thought he hadn't a shilling in to world. "'And yet, if he hadn't, I should just ha' gin him to bed, o same. "'I'm not one as can turn a dog out if he comes to me wearied o' his life. "'So he outs we a shilling.' and lays it down on de table bout a word i'll not trouble ye long says he i'm one as is best out at a world he says then a thought as i'd been a bit hard upon him and says i i'm a widow woman and one as has gettin' but few friends for ye see i were low about our christophers going away north so i'm forced like to speak hard to folk but i've made myself some stir about for my supper and if ye'd like to share and share about wi me it's but putting a sup more water to it and God's blessing will be on it, just as same as if twere meal. So he ups with his hand afore his iron, and says not a word. At last he says, Misses, says he. Can God's blessing be shared by a sinner? One o' to devil's children, says he, for to scripture says he's to father a lies. So our puzzled lack, like, and at length I says, Thou mun ask to parson that, I'm but a poor faint-hearted widow woman, but I've always had God's blessing somehow. Now I bethink me, and I'll share it with thee as far as my will goes. So he rakes his hand across the table, and mutters some as he grips mine. I thought it were scripture, as he said. But I'd need all my strength just then for to lift a pot off the fire. It were the first victual I'd tasted since morn, for to famine comes down like stones on the head o' us poor folk. And all I said were just, Come along, chap, and far too, and God's blessing be on him as he's most. "'and sin that day him and me's been as thick as thieves, "'only he's never telled me naught of who he is "'or where he comes from. "'But I think he's one of them poor colliers, "'as has gettin' brunt into coal-pits. "'For to be sure his face is all black with fire-marks, "'and a late days he's ta'en to his bed, "'and just lies there sighing, "'for one can hear him plain as daylight "'through to bit a partition where.' "'As proof of this, a sigh, almost a groan, "'startled the two women at this very moment.' poor fellow said sylvia in a soft whisper there's more sore hearts in the world than one reckons for but after a while she bethought her again of kester's account of his sister's softness and she thought that it behoved her to give some good advice so she added in a sterner harder tone still ye say ye you know nought about him and tramps is tramps all the world over and ye're a widow and it behoves ye to be careful i think i would just send him off as soon as he's a bit rested "'You say he's plenty o' money?' "'Nay, I never said that. "'I know not about it. "'He pays me aforehand, "'and he pays me down for whatever I've a getting for him. "'But that's but little. "'He's known up to his vittle, "'though I've made him some broth as good as I could make him.' "'I wouldn't send him away till he was well again, if I were you, "'but I think you'd better be rid on him,' said Sylvia. "'It would be different if your brother were in Monkshaven.' "'As she spoke, she rose to go. "'Widow Dobson held her hand in hers for a minute,' and then the humble woman said, "'You'll be vexed wi me, missus, if I cannot find in my heart to turn him out till he wants to go hissell, for I wouldn't like to vex ye for Christopher's sake, but I know what it is for to feel for friendless folk, and choose what may come on it. I cannot send him away.' "'No,' said Sylvia, "'why should I be vexed? It's no business o' mine. Only I should send him away if I was you. He might go lodge where there was men folk, who know to ways at tramps, and are up to them.' into the sunshine went sylvia in the cold shadow the miserable tramp lay sighing she did not know that she had been so near to him towards whom her heart was softening day by day End of chapter forty three